Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Today I want to talk to you. The title of the message is called Come and See. And I want to talk to you about Jesus. I'm going to read some prophecies about him. I'm going to read, you know, few of the accounts of his birth, we'll kind of go through it, and just these different ones who really, it seemed to be it was their life's mission to see him. You know, they're waiting for this one who was to come, um, and these past few months, I've been going, personally going through the Gospels, and so I'm, I'm about to finish up, I'm in John now, but Matthew th- through John, and just reading the, just the different accounts of the story of Jesus, and then specifically in this season, this Christmas season, uh, you know, with our kids and just fitting. I know many of us do the same. We're going through these verses. You're hearing them. People are singing about them. This uh, this child that is given, this one that is coming, this king that is here. And as we're celebrating in this season, the birth of Jesus, the Savior that came into the world, uh, it's been moving my heart. Even on some of the, you know, the Tuesday, Wednesday prayer sets, been reading through some of these scriptures and just taking my time. I encourage you guys, December, this time of year, it's always a, a good time to just go through and see, hey, what's the story? What's this gospel message? And from the very beginning that when he would come, these scenes, for me, as I was reading through it, this is the first year I'm like, wow, this, a lot of times I come into the Christmas season, I'm thinking, oh, it's all sweet, the three wise men, the shepherds, and it's like, it's such a sweet story, and this, it's like, no, it was sweet, most surely, but it was dramatic, it was a whole scene. Okay, it was a whole drama, more dramatic than some of your holiday dinners, you know what I mean? But this was like, a light appears, the angels, I don't know the last time you were out in a field, which you're in Manhattan, I don't know the last time you were out in a field, but the last time you're out in the field and all of a sudden the heavens open up and angels show up and a star appears out of nowhere and like all these things, just the signs and the wonders of the announcement of Jesus that was welcoming him in and these different ones who they spent their whole lives, it just began to move in my heart in these past few weeks. Lord, how am I welcoming you in? Even in 2023, how am I looking for you? How am I expecting you? How am I approaching you? These guys and these gals, they knew how to approach you. They were ready. They made themselves ready for the hour of their visitation. They knew how to approach him. They didn't come empty-handed. They were looking, they were searching, and when the time came, they jumped up and they moved. And it it gives us pictures of how to approach the Lord. It gives us pictures of how to wait on him. It gives us pictures of how to come and behold him. It gives us pictures of what to bring to him. And it gives us language in 2023, hey, we're still doing this. We're still, you know, the king, he's come, but we're looking for him to come again. And we're looking for the one who is coming, but he's here. And we're looking for the one who's here, but he's coming You get what I'm saying? Like, this is the beauty of the mystery of the story of Jesus, and we're right here in the middle of it in the season where, you know, even the whole world who may not know him as Savior, they're they're seeing glimpses of a light. They're seeing glimpses of a one. They're seeing, hearing whispers through songs that they might be shopping for a gift, and they're in a Macy's department store, and you're hearing the, you know, music, oh, come, let us adore him. They they may not even know the song, but they, they know the jingle. They know the tune but it's pointing to Christ. And so it's just, it's such a beautiful season. And I've been allowing this season to just, Lord, hit my heart with it. I don't wanna just go through another Christmas season. In fact, uh, I was talking to a lot of different ones, but there was just something about this year where it felt like, Lord, it just feels more, 
you know, celebratory. I don't know. Maybe I just noticed the trees going up earlier this year. I noticed the lights going up earlier. Just people were ready to celebrate. They were ready to come into the season. And as I was driving into the city a couple weeks ago on a Thursday night, I just heard this phrase drop in, and I've shared it with you guys a couple times, but I heard this phrase drop into my heart, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. And I heard the Lord say, Rich, I'm restoring to not just the church, but even to the city, a, a sudden excitement of an expectation of good. And it just felt like that. There, there are people who are suddenly excited in this season, and they don't even know why, but it's because there is a king who is trying to reveal himself to them. And this excitement, and maybe you're not like, Rich, I'm not there. Well, listen, we're going to, there's grace for you to, to not get there in the, in the sense of like performing it, but there's grace to enter into a sudden excitement, an expectation of good, this hope of the world, Jesus. This is his, his time. This is his hour, and it's been his time, and it's been his hour for over 2,000 years. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, about him through his birth story, and I want to just talk to you a little bit about him even when John the Baptist comes on the scene and we see these declarations, these invitations, these announcements, of you will, about Jesus and to Jesus and of him and how, in turn, it affected the people around and how they responded. Because my prayer is, Lord, let us learn from these stories so that we can respond rightly, so that we can see rightly, so that we can encounter you just like these did. Amen? All right, so Lord, we thank you. We thank you for today. Lord, help me with some of these just uh, journey of thoughts that you've given me these past few weeks. Lord, help me to articulate it. But Lord, let your presence increase in this place. Lord, even at the speaking of your word and the speaking of you, Lord, I pray that you would encounter ones right here in their seats. That you'd open our eyes to see you. That you'd open our ears to hear. That you would let our hearts come alive like never before. And that we would find ourselves in these stories. We'd find ourselves in your story. And that we would come and see that we would come and behold so you invited them come and see we hear your invitation today in jesus name amen all right well let's i'm going to start in verse 2 of isaiah 9 i'm reading new king james version it says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of the fire. I know this is like, what was this talking about? I mean, this is pointing, it's prophesying. There's a light that's coming. There's a light that's coming that's going to cause exceeding great joy. In fact, there's a one who's coming whose government is laced, is sewn into with peace. So much so that there's a picture where we're just using what would be used for battle just for light and for fuel. That this is the one that's coming. He's going to turn the world upside down. In verse 6, and you would probably be more familiar with these verses. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
I just want to read that again. And his name will be called, and to us it is called, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it, establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. And I love, I love these verses even surrounding maybe the stereotypical Christmas verses. You know, you read into verse 8, you're like, oh, yes, okay, I know. Unto them a child is born, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Yes, the government knows no end, peace. But it says, and from that time forward and forever. Meaning these promises that Isaiah was prophesying that would happen to them in Bethlehem was meant for that time and forward time and forever. Just in case people would try to forget. Like, hey, this is not just for that time. It's not just for the time of Jesus forward, but forever. Still today, the announcement is being made to all of creation and to all who will hear and to us today. Hey, for un unto you a child was given. A child was born. And here's his name. Here's, the na here's how you can recognize him. And here's how you can approach him. And here's how you can see him. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. And you know what? His government and peace, it will know no end. Meaning this, there's a promise over the church and there's a reason from the time of Jesus to today, the church has outlasted every other dominion and every other government and every other dark time and every dark age and every middle age and every crusade and every, there is no more hope for century, no more hope for the church. No, Listen, there's always hope. Why? Because of what's been prophesied. He's only going to increase, meaning we're not going anywhere. We win in the end. The win, we win in the end. The church of New York City wins in the end. If you need a little thrill of hope, let me give you some news. I don't know what you're going through, but if you stay faithful in your walk with Jesus, you win. If you don't give up, you win. If you continue to learn how to approach him, you win. If you don't stop answering the invitation, which we're going to read, to come and see, you win. There's not the invitation to be, uh, you know, to do anything else, but come and see. Come and behold. And so Isaiah, I love it. I mean, you go through Isaiah, Colt's been talking about some of the most amazing and intense prophecies all throughout the book of Isaiah. And the prophets and the law and the prophets that lead up to, to Malachi, Malachi prophesies and speaks, and then we have the 400 years of silence, right? And I know our kids' church, Colt's been singing the tune. I don't know the tune, so... Colt can sing it to you later. But the 400 years of silence, right, that our kids are learning. There it is. I hear him singing it. I was waiting for it. But you know what? In those 400 years and during those 400 years, there was a people who were waiting and watching. I mean, you got the wise men, right, which we're going to talk about in a moment. You got Anna and Simeon. You got different ones that were waiting and they were watching and they were looking. I mean, even the Pharisees, right? Even these religious guys, I mean, they, they know scripturally, like, oh, we're supposed to wait and watch. Like, there's one that's coming. The, the people of that day, they knew. The Jews of that day, they knew. There's a king coming. There's a Messiah coming. He's coming. He's coming, and they're watching. Now, not everyone knew how to watch. Not everyone knew how to wait. But it was, there was this anticipation, 400 years of anticipation, where it seems like all hope was lost. There was a remnant that said, no, he's coming. And so what do we have here? We have these wise men, right? You guys know the story. Maybe you've seen a nativity scene, uh, which definitely puts it completely out of chronological order. They did not show up on the same time. You know, different series of events, which we won't go into today. 
But you got these wise men. You got these magi. Some theologians, they, they actually think, we don't know for sure, but they're saying through the connection of the language and their name, maybe these could be the same group of people that came from Daniel in Babylon, right? Because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the chief magicians, the chief magi of their day um, in, in the order of those kingdoms. And so they say, it's very possible these men from the east, Babylon in the east, these could be these guys. And maybe it is 500 years, 400 years, these guys have been waiting. I, I, we don't know, but what I do know is they were waiting and there were wise men. And we don't actually see that there's three of them in the scripture. They get the number three because of the three gifts given. But many theologians believe that there was a multitude of them. You know, these guys with great wealth, they're showing up with frankincense, gold, and myrrh. They didn't bring like, you know, a pocketful. No, these were wealthy guys who probably had a chest full of, of this stuff, bringing it to them, which means if they're coming with all this wealth, they're not traveling alone, most likely. There's probably servants, there's probably security, there's probably camel, you know, they're, you know, no subway, right? They're coming from the east, right? And not, not Long Island, right? They're coming on camelback. But here's the scene. They've been waiting. I don't know how long, but they've been waiting, Right? They've been looking for a sign. They've been looking for a star. They've been looking for this star that would reveal that Jesus, the king of the Jews, has been born. And I don't know what the scene looked like, but I, I'm telling you, it had to be dramatic. You have these guys who've been waiting their whole lives, studying, looking, waiting. Nothing's changed. Monday, nothing's changed. Tuesday, nothing's changed. The next year, nothing's changed. The next year, nothing's changed. The next decade, nothing's changed. They're teaching their kids. They're teaching their grandkids. Nothing's changed, but we're looking, we're waiting and watching, and then all of a sudden, a star appears, something that was not there before. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't like, hey, hey, guys, it's here. Let's go. We're ready. No, I imagine it was a dramatic scene, like, oh, my gosh, the star, it's here. God, wake up. Get up. The star, it's here. He's here. He's been born. The one who we're waiting for, he's, he's born the king of the Jews. Wake up. Get the gold. Get the frankincense. Get the myrrh. Get the camels. Get the servants. Get ready. We're going. We're all, I don't know about you. I'm going. Are you going? We're, we're, let's go. Let's go and meet him. Let's go and worship him. Let's go and find him. And they knew we're going to follow that star. We don't know how they knew. We don't know the whole story. All we know is this caught their attention. They knew somehow the storyline. He's going to be born. The star is going to be, we're going to follow that star. And so they go. And at some point, I don't know, maybe the star, the star disappears at one point. How do we know that? Because we, we see later in the story, the star reappears. But it must have disappeared and they got lost along the way and they end up, what well, should be in Bethlehem, but they end up in Jerusalem. They end up in Herod's town. And what do we know happens, right? They get Herod's attention. So I don't imagine they came in like, hey, have you seen him? Have you seen the star? I think they come in and they cause a scene. I told Mariah two days ago, I was like, I wish I had a little bit more time. I was going to get like 20 guys to all of a sudden erupt at this moment and run around to all you guys. I'm like, but this is the scene. They come into Jerusalem and they make a scene and they say, where is he? Tell me, where is he staying? Who? What are you guys talking about? Where's the star? What star? Who, what are you talking about? Where is the king of the Jews? Where's the king? Who, King Herod? No, the king of the Jews. Where's the king? And they cause a whole scene, get Herod's attention. Herod gathers the, the priests, the 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 dignitaries, and he's like, what, what are these guys? Who are these guys? What are they talking about, right? And I'm sure it got attention because they show up with money and their royalty and like, okay, who are you? But who, another king? Herod's got other intentions. But the, the Pharisees, they, the priests, they tell Herod, they said, okay, well, if, if what these guys are saying is true, then they need to be in Bethlehem because it says that a star of light will come out of Bethlehem. 
And so Herod calls them and he says, okay, well, these, this is what the scripture says, which is interesting, right? You got these guys coming from the east who know to look for the star, and yet you got, you got these guys in the scripture to know for look, to look for a star, but Herod's guys, these priests, these Sadducees of that day, they're blind. They can't see the sign that's happening all around them. And so Herod tells them, obviously, the Lord warns them not to tell Herod because they, they know what's going on. And so they go. The next morning, the star reappears, or maybe it's later that night, the star reappears, and they're like, oh, the star, there it is again. And they follow that star into Bethlehem, and they find Jesus. And I know we think of it as a stable, but most likely it was like in a cave, a cave-type stable on the side of a mountain, this mountain city. And they come, and they see the star above Jesus, and they see him, and they see him with Mary, and they say, here's the one. And they come, they put down their stuff, they bow down, and they worship him. And then they give him the gifts. They give him the gold. They give him the frankincense. They give him the myrrh. And it is a glorious scene. This one who they're waiting for, he has been born. He has appeared. He is on the scene. And now here he is. We've come to worship him. And I don't know about you, but I want there to be a desire in my heart like these guys, this group. It's like all my life, Lord, all I want to do, I want to find the place where you are. I want to be in the place with you. I want to take what I have and I want to fall down and I want to worship you. I understand that my whole life, these guys, their whole life, they were waiting to come and bring the wealth of their hands, the work of their hands, the very best of what they have. They come to this newborn babe and swaddling clothes and say, here's the king. We have come because we were made to worship you. And you guys, you have been made to worship. You have been created to worship so that in the work of our hands, what we have to give, the very best of what we have to give or whatever we have, we are beckoned to come to see, to behold, and to worship him and to bow down and give him that which we have to give, which he's given to us in the first place. So I've been thinking of this story. I've been thinking of these, these wise men and these ones that came from the east. I'm like, Lord, let that be my heart. Let that be my response that there are moments in my life where it feels like I've been distant from God or it feels like I've just been disconnected. Lord, awaken me again to this passion. Tell me where he's staying. Tell me where he is. And I will come before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, it's been a, a, a while. It's been a moment since my heart's been alive. But where are you, Lord? Show me again. Open up to me again. Bring me to the place where you are. I want to worship you because that's what feels right. That's what feels normal. That's what feels like eternity. It's what feels like I was made to do, to worship, to be with you, to behold you. We got these, these other guys, right? These shepherds in the field. Ordinary men like you, like me, right? They're, they're just tending to their sheep. And uh, I know you're, like I said, you're Manhattaners. I don't know when you've been in the field and, and the, the angel showed up, but they're there. And out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, this angel shows up, begins to declare to them, that the king is born, that the light has come. They says, behold, we bring good tidings of exceeding joy. And they tell them of this one that has come. And as he's telling them, all of a sudden, all these other myriads of angels show up. I mean, this is a dramatic scene as well. This is like intense. It's, I'm sure it's loud and you hear the choir. Our worship team did an amazing job today, but you got this choir of angels saying glory to God in the highest and on peace goodwill towards men. And they're singing it over and over again. And it sweeps them off their feet. Now, a good shepherd, they don't leave their sheep, but these guys, they're like, forget our sheep. They throw it all down in that moment and they run. And it says that as they're running, they are shouting on the mountaintops. They're shouting as they're going what the angel had said, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest. They immediately become evangelists, right? Right in that moment, they haven't even seen him yet. And they go and they bow down and they worship him. 
And I love it. You have these, these you know, poor, poor shepherds. You have these rich wise men. The, the response is the same. They're coming with, with treasure chests of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But these guys, they got nothing to give but, a, but a, a shout and a hallelujah. But they come and they bow down and they worship him. You know, these wise men, they were waiting. These shepherds, I don't know. They knew the story. They knew the scripture. But they, I don't think they were necessarily waiting. They were, they were tending to their sheep. Wherever we are, there is an announcement. Come and behold him. Come and see him. Just come. Just come. See, Jesus knew. The, the angels knew. These different ones knew that are announcing him. You just need to catch a glimpse of me. So they come and they see this newborn babe. And, and I'm sure Mary, we know Mary, is. she is just piling all these, she's pondering all these things. She's storing up all these things like, what? I knew this was going to be intense. This angel came and told me. This angel spoke to Joseph. But these wise men are coming. These, these shepherds are coming. Where are they coming? What is going on? What is going on? I mean, it is a dramatic, he comes in in right fashion, okay? I'm sorry, there's no greater drama ever told than the story of Jesus coming to the earth. Thank you, Lord. They were saying, where is he staying? Behold, a child is born. Behold, a son is given. A son is given. Isaiah prophesies. These ones are looking, watching, waiting. Anna and Simeon, they're dwelling in the temple as Colt taught on last week. They're waiting for the Messiah. They're looking for him. You know, the Pharisees, though they couldn't see, they, they knew to wait. There, there was this waiting. There was this anticipation and now he's here. And after 400 years of silence, we also know Malachi was speaking of an Elijah to come. Malachi, I think it's um, either verse five or six of chapter four, it speaks of an Elijah that would come. And when John the Baptist you know, is asked, are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm not Elijah. But Jesus in, in, in the book of Matthew says, if you will, you know, John the Baptist was like an Elijah. He was like an Elijah. He was making reference to this Malachi four prophecy. Yeah, this was, a portion of what Malachi was talking about, that John would announce my coming. He would prepare the way for me to come, right? And in John 1, why don't, you got, why don't we turn there together? I don't know about you, this excites me. I mean, I just have fresh excitement on the story of the birth of Jesus in this season that it's just begin to strike my heart and make my heart come alive. Like, wow, like this is, it's more than just a Sunday school story. So let me tell you something, they're doing amazing things in there. But like this stereotypical Sunday school, like, oh, this is cute. Let's put it on a Christmas card. Let's sing a carol. Let's sing a hymn. Let's do the Christmas thing. No, this has power. It has invitation. And it, it has vision and picture of how we get to approach him today, of the excitement that is meant to come over us as we come into the place of his presence, where it's like, are you kidding me? We're, we're, this is not Buddhism. This is not Islam. This is not a religion where we can't come before God. We, we are the Christians who can come before a God who is not dead and not deaf, but he's alive and, he's, he, and he hears and he responds on behalf of those who cry out to him and he allows us to come and see. He allows us to come and behold and he interacts with us. The God of all the universe came. He put on flesh. And this is the John 1 story. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He put on the flesh, the bones, the breath, the lungs, the hair. He put on our image that he created us in to come and to be with us. Why? So that he can say, come and see me. Come and behold me. Come and walk with me. Come and believe. Come and follow. 
and ultimately come and die that you might live. And so in John 1, I want to look at verse 34. Actually, let's back up. Verse 29. We have John the Baptist, right? In verse 29, he sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Now listen, hear the language. This is Jesus' cousin. He did know him. But he's saying, but I didn't know him. He's saying, like, this was my cousin, but I didn't know this was the Lamb of God. But now I see him. This is the one that has come before me. John's older than him. He's speaking of Jesus' deity, not his humanity in this moment. He's saying, yeah, I know I'm his older cousin, but he's the one that came before me, and he's the one that's going to remain after me. He's the one that, I'm, that I have come to prepare the way for. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, saying, hey, this is the one. God, it's not just, it's not just me that's acknowledging it. God himself acknowledged it. There's the voice that came out, the dove that came down. I'm a witness of that, John's saying. And I did not know him, but uh, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Saying, I didn't see him like that, but now I see him. I didn't know him like that, but now I know him. This is the one. This is the one. And John would go back and forth. We'd see when John sends messages like, hey, because probably John thought Jesus would come doing a little something different. And when Jesus is not doing what John thought he would do, he sends, which we'll read later, like, hey, can you find out? Are you really the one? But he's saying now, no, he's the one. He's the one. This is the one that we've been talking about. And the next day, verse 35, John stood with the two disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said again, behold, the lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. I feel like I, I hear that even reverberating over me these past few weeks with the Lord saying, come behold. Come and look. As the angel said to the, the ones in the field, behold. There's an invitation to behold him again. There's an invitation to come and look at him. Let's continue on this John 1 story. Verse 37, two, uh, two, the two disciples heard him speak. These are two disciples of John. And in the moment they heard John speak, they followed Jesus. I love this. So the, they respected and they heard, they heard John and they believed John so much. The moment John said, I didn't know him, but now I know him. This is the one. Behold the lamb. They said, okay, John, it's nice knowing you. Now we're following Jesus. <laughs> but it's a testimony to John though, Right? It's a testimony to John. We would, we would even, well, and which we'll talk about later, but his life was pointing to Jesus. And he's, in that moment, these guys, they start following Jesus. And may it be said of us that our life is lived in such a way that it points to him that when people finally see the one who we've been talking about, they don't need to follow us anymore. They can just follow him, right? This is what John is doing. So these two disciples, they start following Jesus. And I love Jesus. He's like, uh, uh, I think he's having a little fun, too, because he knows what's going on. Then he looks at them. He turns around. He's like, you know, he's got two guys. You ever had someone following you? It felt like you're like, what's going on? So Jesus is like, all right. Hey, you following me? And he says, what do you seek? What do you want? He's like, hey, what do you want? What are you looking for? Right? And so they say, rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? I love this question. Where are you staying? Do you know what the inference is there? It's like, we don't just want you to answer a question. We want to come spend time with you. 
just like we did with John, we're going to go stay. John made us stay in the wilderness. Where are you staying? Maybe it's like, are we going back to the wilderness? Like, where are we going? Little they know that he wouldn't have a home. He's going to go from house to house, place to place. At least John, you know, they pitched some tents in the wilderness. But where are you staying? And I love this. Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and see. In verse 39, they came. They saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. They came with him. They saw where he was staying and they remained with him. I mean, this is the heart posture that the believer is to have. When the invitation is come and see, Jesus says, okay, you want to follow me? Come and see. And when you find, when we find him, when we find where he's staying, where we see where he is, remain there. This is the John the 14 to 17, the upper room discourse, right? When Jesus is praying, he's saying, Father, I desire that these whom you've given me, they would be with me where I am. This is the command. The same love that the Father has loved me, I now love you. Come and abide in that love and obey my commandments. This is the invitation of Jesus. He gives it in the prayer. He lays it out later on in John, but right here from the beginning, this was the come and see, come and abide, come and obey, come and believe, come and remain with me. Abide in my love, abide in me, stay with me. And these guys, they got it right. They didn't always get it right, but they got it right in this moment. They said, okay, we're following you. Where are you staying? They asked the right question and they followed him and they did the right action. They remained. And I've been asking myself this question these past few weeks. God, where are you? Where are you in my day-to-day? And I don't mean like, you know, I'm not in a season where I'm not sensing his presence and I've had those seasons. But I am, I'm in a season where I feel his presence. I, I know he's hearing me. I'm, I get to worship him. I'm seeing him in the word. This is a good season for me. And yet I'm still asking God, but where are you? I just want you. I want your presence. Where are you in the scripture that I'm reading today? Where are you in this prayer time? Where are you in the service? I, because I don't want to just read. I don't just want to sing. I don't want to just listen to a message and to be encouraged from a good talk or a good pep talk or a good uh, sing-along or a good Christmas carol. I want to see you in the worship. I want to see you in the reading of the word. I want to see you in the teaching of the word. I want to see you in my interaction. I want to see you at the meal table. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? I want to remain where you are. I want to stay with you. I want to be with you. I want to come and see. And it goes on, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we've found the Messiah. Do you see the awakening to these announcements? Like the, the, the wise, when they come in, he's here. We've, where is he? He's here. You see these shepherds, the, the king has come. He's here. It's like this thing naturally comes out from inside you. We, once you see him, we found him. He's here. There's this natural thing that bursts inside of us when you truly encounter, when you truly see him. He's here. And he goes to his brother, we got him. We got him. He's here. Come. Come and see him. Right? And he tells Peter, come and see. And he brought him. And Jesus looks uh, at, at Peter and he said to him, you're Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Peter, which is translated stone. That's a message for another day we'll go into. And then verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip there and said to Philip, follow me. And Philip, who is from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and of Peter, he, in that invitation, must follow him, right? In that moment, he probably did the whole thing. Follow me, come and see. And he follows him, he believes in him so much so, what does he do? Now he goes and he wants to find Nathaniel. 
And he said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I mean, Philip has this encounter with Jesus and he says, this is him. We got him and I'm going to find him and I'm going to remain, but I'm going to, t- I'm going to go get Nate. And he tells Nate, listen, Nate, we got Jesus of Nazareth. And Nate's, little, his, he didn't see yet. He's a little bit doubting. He's like, no, it can't be. And it can't be what you're saying because what good can come from Nazareth? And I love Philip's response because he takes the words of Jesus, which he just learned. He said, don't worry, Nate, just come and see. I don't need to convince you. I just need you to see him. I don't need to convince you of anything good coming from Nazareth. Just come with me to the place where he is. Come and find where he's staying with me and just look at him. If you look at him, your eyes will be opened up. If you can see him, you'll believe. If you can just be in the place where he is, in the place of his presence, I'm telling you, everything will change. That doubt that you have will turn to faith. If you could just get in the place of his presence. And guys, this was just the beginning. This was just the words of Jesus. He's gathering these people without any signs and wonders yet. I mean, they got the one sign at his baptism, and it's pretty big, right? Right? the father declaring uh, but Jesus hasn't done anything yet right these things being said of him that could get reasoned away as he's just a prophet he's just a, a great man he's just a teacher he's just a philosopher it could get reasoned away but they're announcing no this is him not even a sign has happened yet but this is him come and see come and behold him may we behold him may, may we be like like Andrew may we be like Philip and when we see him and we say, guys, do you know you're not responsible to get your family saved? You're only responsible to reveal the Father, to show them Jesus. And how do you do that? Love. Sharing the truth. Sharing the gospel. But you don't have to convince them. You're inviting them to see. God will do the convincing. God will do the convicting. God will do the saving. You're just to do the announcing. You're to announce with love. You're to announce with your words. You're to announce with boldness. But he'll do the supernatural work. He'll do the sign. He'll do the wonders. And I love it. The apostles of John, they asked Jesus, where are you staying? He said, come and see. And they follow him. Philip takes the very words of Jesus in his interaction with Daniel. He says, Nate, just come and see. If that was good enough words for Jesus, it's good enough words for me. Come and see. Come and behold him. Come and and let your eyes fall upon him. And we see these pictures of how to approach him. Like I said, the wise men, they didn't come empty-handed. In fact, they, they gave them enough gold. I mean, it was not just, it was gold for a king, but it was enough gold that it would pay for them to escape to Egypt and then pay for them to get back to, to Nazareth, right? Like this was like the, the wisdom of God that these, to send these guys from the east because we know his parents didn't have a lot of money. They gave pigeons at his, his, his uh, dedication, right? They, they weren't of great wealth, but now all of a sudden they come into great wealth. <laughs> Why? Because the one who they have owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It wasn't right that he would walk around empty-handed. And so the father brings the gold to him at the moment of his birth. Not before, at the moment of his birth, because this is his. And it would pay for them to, to keep him uh, from, from Herod and escape to Egypt, spend the time in Egypt, and they get all the way back to would end would be would be Nazareth, like that would be a very expensive journey, and they didn't have the money. The provision came in that moment. But anyway, it's not what I'm talking about today. But they come with gold for a king. They come with frankincense. Why? Frankincense would be used by the high priest to bring incense before God, and so they brought frankincense to the high priest. And they would come with myrrh. 
Myrrh would be something that would be used to mix with other scents, with other fragrances, possibly fragrances, possibly other things, to anoint a, a body for burial. So they came in with an anointing for, to the lamb who would be slain. In fact, we see later on in John chapter 19 or 20, when Jesus dies and, and you have Nicodemus and you have Joseph of, help me, Arimathea. <laughs> they helped me last service too. Like, I don't, I have to learn how to say it, Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they take the body of Jesus. And look at the scene. And think of Mary. Think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's watching the scene, watching these wise men come, watching these shepherds come, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, her son wrapped in a swaddling cloth. Here's the myrrh. She's smelling the incense. She's smelling the frankincense. And now her son has died. And now he's being wrapped in cloth. And in that cloth is put myrrh and spices. And in that moment, she probably would remember the scent and the sight of her son at his birth. And she would know from the beginning you were called to die. This is the story of our Jesus. This is the story of your Savior. He was born to die. And you better believe in our born-again experience, we are born to die. In the same way that he was anointed as his birth to, to die, he says, listen, die, come to me and die that you might live. Go through the waters of baptism. Go through the path, die to the flesh so that you can come up and that you might live. He invites us into his story. The shepherds dropped everything to come and behold and worship. Mary meditated on all that was happening. May we constantly think on everything that the Lord has done. I mean, it's part of our walk as Christians. Part of what we do, the, the sacraments of our faith, is to remember is to daily, our daily bread. We're in the communion, right? We are to remember. In worship, what do we, we're singing in remembrance to a God who has done all these things of what he's doing. There's this invitation to bring him something of your heart of value. There's this invitation to come and to lay down at his feet. There's this invitation like Mary to think, to fill your mind with, with him to ponder him, to meditate on him daily. <laughs> to come and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To come and behold, John was saying, look at him. Just look at him. He's what? Look at him. Don't look at me anymore. And he was saying, I must decrease so that he may increase. But he was also he was announcing the old covenant is coming to an end. This one's decreasing. And this man's walking in with a new covenant. That's going to increase. John was announcing the coming of a king, but he was announcing the end of one season and the beginning of the next. He says, come and look at him. Come and see. And like John's disciples, may we ask the question, may we answer the question that Jesus asks us, what do you seek? I think he's asking you the questions today. What do you seek? What are you looking for? I and mean, he was teaching them. He even asked them, like, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Like, what are you guys looking for? You're following me now. You were following John. What are you looking for? What have you come to see? And thank God they got some things right. They said, Rabbi, we just want to know where you're staying. And they came and they saw. 
and they remain. And I hear him saying over us today, my son, my daughter, come, come and see, come and behold, come and look at me, come and remain, come and abide. Now I can can have the worship team coming up. And I've been praying, I'm like, Lord, I want to build for you a resting place. I want to build for you a dwelling place. I want to do the David thing, right? I want to build for you a place where you come and turn aside, where you can dwell. I want to do the my house thing. I mean, Jesus takes them into the temple, right? He put his hands on a lot of things, put his hands on eyes that opened, put his hands on ears that opened, put his hand on water that turned to wine. He put his hand on bread that multiplied, but then he also put his hand on some tables and turned them over, you know? (laughs) But everything he put his hands on had a dramatic effect. And in that scene, he was teaching them on the ways of his house. He said, this is not what my house looks like. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's saying, I've come in to uh, tear down this temple and to raise it back up, speaking of himself. And he's saying, in this house, when you come into me, it's not going to be for what you can benefit. It's going to be for my benefit. But thank God his benefit is so that we would be saved, so that we would have eternal life. But he's teaching them, come learn my ways. Come and approach me in the way that I desire to be approached. And as I said before, John 1, uh, John 1 is, is many of the, the words of him, but in John 2, he would then turn water into wine. And after that, he would go into the temple and he'd say, no, this, let me declare to you what my house is going to look like. And in John 4, he, he saves an entire Samaritan village. And in John 4, he also heals the nobleman's son. John 5, he heals the man at the pool 38 years. John 6, he's feeding the 5,000. He says, go get some food for them. They get the two fish, the five loaves. Listen, those fish, those loaves, they didn't multiply until they got put into the hands of Jesus. When we read Ephesians, it gives us this picture of how the Father sees us. And over and over again, it's Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, just those two chapters alone. For 23 times, it uses this phrase, in Christ. I'm talking about us, in Christ. Your inheritance, in Christ. I've put you in Christ. I see you in Christ. I've worked you into him. We see this picture where when the Father's looking at us, he sees us in Christ. And we see this story of Jesus where he's just leading them, come into me. Come and be with me. Come and see me. Come and behold me. And then don't just... Don't just stop at beholding. Now come and follow. Now don't just stop at following me. Believe in what I'm telling you. And don't just believe. Come and obey. And don't just obey. Don't just believe. But now come and die so that you may live. Come and lay down your whole life for me. I'm telling you. We see these pictures of they're just taking the little they have and they put it in the hands of Jesus. They take these few fish and these few loaves and he feeds 5,000. It's just a picture. Yeah, look what I can do with your little. Imagine what I can do with your all. Imagine what I could do if you don't just take the little that you have, but you bring me everything. He wants you to get caught up in this love affair. He wants you to get caught up in this journey that these guys, these witnesses, these eyewitnesses got to do it with him. But the invitation is still for you today. Isaiah said, remember? 
It's for that time forever, that time forward and forever. This king has come not just for the people of the gospels. He didn't come just for the early church. He came for you so that you could see him, so that New York City could see him, so that Life Center Church could see him, and that when we see him and we behold him, we would become like him. That everything that's of us would decrease, would die, so that the things of him could come alive in us. So that we would see ourselves rightly because we begin to see him rightly. Some of you are going to begin to actually get set free from the struggles of how you see yourself because you're going to start to see him rightly. Some of you are walking through seasons that, of difficulty and, and it's not actually the attack of the enemy. It's you've not seen him rightly yet in that area of your life that needs adjusting. It's because you need to see him maybe as provider. You need to see him as the savior. You need to see him as your vindicator. You need to see him as your helper. You need to see him as the counselor. You need to see him as the mighty God. You need to see him rightly because you've been trying to do some things in your own strength. You've been trying to see him in the way that you think you need to see. You've been trying to approach him in the way that you think you should approach and say, no, this is how you approach me. See me in the scripture. Don't just come casually anymore. Come on purpose. Come boldly to the throne of grace today. Come and see me. Pray the prayer of Ephesians. God, would you open the eyes of my understanding that I may know the heights, the depth, the width, the length of the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. The prayer of Ephesians 3, that we would come in and understand that we're to be filled with all the fullness of God. God, I'm not filled with the fullness yet. So I need to come and see. I need to come and behold. I need to come and follow. I need to come and believe where I'm not believing, where there's been unbelief. Lord, bring me to you. Where are you staying, God? Jesus, where are you? On this Sunday of December 2023, where are you? And on Monday morning tomorrow, good morning, Lord. Where are we going today? And on Tuesday, good morning, Lord. Where are we going today? What are we doing today? Let me see you. Why don't we stand together? Matthew 11. This is what I was referencing before. John the Baptist has a moment. And again, maybe he's just expecting Jesus to do something different. And because Jesus wasn't doing maybe what John thought he should do, he, he sends guys to ask him, like, hey, are you really the one? And I love what Jesus says to him. Because John needed confirmation that Jesus really is who John thinks he probably is. And so Jesus helps John's lenses out a little bit. He says, no, you're seeing rightly, but let me, let me clear the fog. Tell John this. Your eyes have seen me, but you want to see right. Okay, John. The blind see. The lame walk. The leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached. He's saying, okay, listen, John, it's me. Look at the work of my hands. Look at the signs. Look at the wonders. See me in the blind eye healed. See me in the deaf hearing. 
See me in the dead raised. See me, John, in the poor receiving the gospel. Oh, Life Center Church, see me in the encouragement over your heart. See me in the provision of your day to day. Jesus is declaring over you today, see me. I am in every part of your life. I have not left you as orphans. I have not left you alone and I'm not going to leave you. See me. In the moments where you're doubting like, God, is this you? See me. I have snatched you from the miry pit. You could be dead right now, but you're alive. See me. I've put breath in your lungs. See me in the breath. See me in the provision. See me on the food at the table. See me in the provision in your bank account. See me in the health in your body. This is me. These are my hands. This is my work. See me in the signs. See me in the healings today. Come and see me. <laughs> I think his story is still dramatic today. Drama in the good sense. It's the greatest story. That's not ever been told. It's the greatest story being told. And you're a part of it. You get to be a part of it every day. As Tammy said, see Him in the worship. See Him in the praise. He inhabits your praise. See Him when you come in here on your worst day. Some of you guys, you've been going through stuff. And you're like, I don't know if I can go to church. And He's saying, no, just come as you are. Just come. Just come to me. And if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm telling you, there is a real King who, who really came as a baby who was really anointed and he really did live among men. He really did go to a cross and die for you. And he really did raise again on the third day. And today he sits in the heavenly places with the Father. He's real. Jesus is real. He's the Savior of the world, but he's your Savior today. And maybe you're going through a prodigal season on a prodigal road. He's saying, just come. I don't care what you've wasted. I don't care what you think you've done to disqualify yourself. I don't care what you think you've done to mean you can't come through a, a, the doors of the church. Just come. Just come to me. Come to the altar. Come to the place where I am. Maybe you're in a season where your heart's just not as alive as it was before. Then do like those guys in the road to Emmaus. Muster up something inside of you that says, God, don't walk by. Come in and dine with me. And open my eyes at the breaking of the bread. Let my heart burn at your words. Wherever you are today, there is an invitation from Jesus in this season of great hope. Come and see. I'm still the God who does wonders. I'm still the God who does signs. I'm still the God who's working on your behalf. Just come and see. Find where I am. Come and abide. Come and stay. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. That you've given us the gift of sight. You've given us eyes to see. Some of you need to hear that. You have eyes to see because he's made your eyes. I'm not talking about just your natural eyes, your, your, the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your imagination, the eyes of the mind. Lord, I thank you that you've given us eyes to see you. You've given us the ability to know you. 
Lord, for those who may not know you as Savior today in this room, I pray, would you reveal yourself to them? May the King of the world, Jesus Christ, reveal himself to you in this moment. For those who need to be reminded of this one who they've known, Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Show us your glory. Show us your face. We want to see you. Open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes of our understanding in this Christmas season. Let us see the Christ, the anointed one. <laughs> and let us put everything we have in your hands. May we be found in you. We want to abide. We want to come and see. I feel some of you may need to just respond to that today. Why do we do this? Sometimes there needs to be an outward expression of what's going on in the inward heart. Sometimes we need to just get out of our seat. You don't have to do this. You can do this from your seat. But some of us may want to do this. You just may want to come to the altar and sign up again. You might want to come up here and say, God, I want to see you. I want to see you in my day to day. God, I want my heart to burn again. Maybe some of you are in that prodigal season. You say, God, I want, I want to know you again. And maybe you don't know Jesus. When you come up, just come grab me. Come grab one of the leaders. We're going to be up here. Or maybe you're like many of us today where you're saying, God, I, I, I just want to answer today in 2023. I want to see you. I want eyes to see you. Where are you staying? I want to be where you are. And you just want to respond and come worship with us in the front. Just come on up. Someone's going to come first and the other ones will follow. I know it can feel all awkward to come in the middle of this. But come on up. And let's go into a time of worship, and then we'll minister to you as well. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.